0: Isaiah chapter 61, and then Luke chapter 4. Right.
1: So we'll
0: start here. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, and Luke 4, 16 through 21.
1: All right, starting with Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, out of the King James Version. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Now we're going to Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 21.
0: Now this is several thousand years later. Now we have this text.
1: Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the, prif- the prophet. Y'all know how to say that word? Isaiah.
0: S-A-I-S. Isaiah too. It's Isaiah.
1: Uh, that's a, they spelled it different here. Isaiah. <laughs>
0: that's the Old Testament. Nuns Same right. guy. He's a good guy. Same, Same guy. guy.
1: And when he opened the book, <laughs> he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he has closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of them and all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears.
0: Thank you, buddy, so much, if you'll put that over there. Be an instant in season and out of season, Jason. That's one of the first lessons. All right, y'all may be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. Isaiah speaking of a, a Christ that he had never met, and Jesus introducing himself as a Christ that had never been known. Jesus, entering into the synagogue, opening a book, and beginning with Isaiah. and the the Hebrew, uh, it was written out, Hebrew and Aramaic, Isaiah. Isaiah. And he said, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Which meant, I'm the anointed one. And it wasn't just the Spirit of the Lord was upon me for an event. But the Bible says that God gave Jesus the Holy Spirit without measure. And this anointing, this election, this position, this empowerment is for people. And the ultimate end is to bring glory to God. But if you can imagine Jesus coming into the, temp, uh, to the synagogues, it's not like a large temple, uh, like you think of the Jewish temple, but just a local synagogue, a local body of believers. And he found the place. So he's thumbing through or scrolling down or however the the papyrus was uh, uh, there, he found the place where it was written and he read it and he made one of the most historical landmark statements found in the Bible. He got to the end and he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And he sat down. He was unveiling, revealing, and making God available to people who had ears to hear. I want to focus on the subject where he said, this day, today, this day. And would you pray for me as I pray for myself this morning? And I mean that sincerely. I don't mean just check out for a few moments. Because if all you get today is man's ideas or me and whatever natural ability I might have, there's no benefit to you. But if the Spirit of God quickens the Word to you, it changes you. It's transformation. It goes from logos to rhema. It goes from knowledge to revelation for you. So would you pray for me this morning? Father, I just present myself before you, an unprofitable servant at best. But I also know that I am your elect. I am chosen by you to be one of your children. And I am uh, humbled beyond words. And for this assignment that's before me today, I do not take it lightly. I am not in search of of a compliment. I'm not in search of approval or esteem uh, from men. But that you would say in heaven today that my servant declared my word with accuracy. And with clarity and with a spirit uh, that brought glory uh, to your name, Lord, I pray. And I thank you in advance for that to happen. In Jesus' name, amen. This day, this day he opened the book and found the place where it was written. Any gathering of believers ought to be consistently found Opening the book and finding what is written. Not motivational speeches, not inspirational speeches, not how-tos, not formulas, not three steps to a better you. Every gathering of believers ought to be a time when they open the book and find what is written. Have you ever considered this... For those of you taking notes I know some of us uh, I used to be way more like this now uh, I used to just pop, like you missed you know 1A what was D what, what was D I was, I was wired like that but now I'm kind of like uh, when I preach or teach it's kind of like a fat man going through a barbed wire fence here a point there a point you know just wherever whatever comes out you get there but, but I want hey goodness well, I just, I just think you ought to take yourself more seriously. No, my issue is we need to take God more seriously and ourselves a little less seriously. Heaven's laughing at us. We might as well laugh at ourselves, you know. <laughs> All right, number one, it was a day of divine revelation. So watch from the beginning where I'm going. In the gathering, this ought to be a place and a day of divine revelation. Have you ever considered the fact That Jesus valued the synagogue. Not the building, not the temple, not David or Solomon's temple, but the gathering of believers. It says in the synagogue, Jesus was in the synagogue on the Sabbath as his custom was. The place where the people of God came together, where the law was rehearsed. The prophecies were remembered. The Psalms were sung. The people willingly and joyfully gave of their resources as offerings unto God. Prayers were offered. And where the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the center of all that was said and done. No mention in the synagogue of the programs. Programs evil? Not at all. But no mention. No mention of the ministration to the poor. Was that required and necessary? Yes. Yes but just that Jesus was there in the synagogue that day as his custom was. What did Jesus have to learn from anybody teaching in that synagogue? Can you imagine? Now, they didn't know, but once you knew. Can you imagine if you're teaching Sunday school or if I'm in here and Jesus walks in, I'm like, I just unhook everything and go sit down like, The floor is yours. Some of us have this mentality. Those of you that don't even go to this church or go to this church. I decide if I'm coming based on who's speaking. And that was not the pattern of the Christ. Because he, being all God and all man, knew the value of the interconnectedness of the body of God. He knew the value and the opportunity to encourage one another and love one another. And if it was his custom, don't you think it ought to be our custom? Though I hit something in, everybody just was staring at me. Look at the boldness, the unexpectedness. Unexpectedness and the staggering implications of his declaration On this day Christ was revealing himself as the promised one The eternal one The present one This day began the unveiling of the existence of the kingdom of God The ways of the kingdom of heaven And the linking together of the Old and New Testament Eventually explaining the mystery of salvation And how the Jews and Gentiles would later become one This was the day it began The proclamation of the acceptable year of the Lord, which meant the door of salvation being open, that being limited in its availability, and the promise of universal judgment, which would be unlimited in its continuation. The proclamation of who he was, what he had come to do, the hour in which they were all living was unmistakable in Jesus' clarity, unchallengeable in his accuracy, and unchangeable in its permanence. He spoke of the acceptable year of the Lord. Whosoever will, let him come. And also the wrath of God. He proclaimed this is the year, the time frame, the eon, the the period of time where the doors of heaven are open because of what Jesus is soon to do so that anyone can come and anyone can be saved. But it is also of the wrath of God. And in our generation, we have... We have taught away the existence of hell and God is a God of love. Yes, but that ain't all God is. And God was. My daddy and mama were people of love. But that ain't all they were. I tell people my daddy had a deliverance ministry. Take you in the back room, you come out, you go, I'm healed. Ain't no, all demons are gone. Number two. This day, Jesus said, the scripture was fulfilled in your ears. Not only was it a day of divine revelation, he was introducing himself as the one that Isaiah wrote about. That's, that's revelation. He's the one, the coming one, the prophesied one. It was a day of divine hope. Keep your Bible open and look at verse 18 of Luke 4. We're, we're going to stay in Luke 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he hath anointed me. Jesus speaking as a man, all God, it's not half God, half man, all God and all man at the same time, and that is a mystery. And he did not need an anointing for the God part, but as man operating among man, fulfilling his role as a faithful high priest, he made the declaration that God the Father had anointed his humanity, which meant that the word anointing means to smear, to take, if you will, A thick layer of the essence of God. Although he was God, this essence was an enabling, an empowering, a signifying. It meant the word anointed. He said he has anointed me. It means to smear, to rub with oil, to furnish. Listen, to consecrate me to an office of religious service. That's why the church needs to step in to revelation, not just information. It's not just that He was the Savior. He's my Savior. That's His office. He was empowered to save me. He's not just a deliverer. He's my deliverer. He's not just a provider. He's my provider. And God, the Father, when when Jesus came in the form of flesh... He installed him in an office and empowered him. And Jesus declared that all that's necessary to help you is in me and is on me. Now, if that were the case in his humanity, what do you think is the, uh, the capacity now of the Son of God seated at the right hand of the Father with all authority and all power given unto his name? established. This is my position. This is my title. The spirit of the Lord is upon me and he hath anointed me for a reason to do. Now, we hear the phrase, the cliches, and many of them are based on truth. But if you say them long enough, you can lo- they can turn into error. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about you. Y- you are right. It is about God. And what God reveals. And what he revealed is. That as far as his heart and affections go. It is about you. Ultimately. It is about him. It's for his glory. Everything's for his glory. Everything is for his pleasure. But his pleasure. Is you. If I could wish anything for you today. Outside of the obvious ones, the consecration and the sanctification, and the holy life. I would, I would pray that you would be able to have the capacity to discern God's pleasure in you. I want my babies to know I enjoy you. I enjoy, Not just you move me, but I enjoy you. And it's not based on performance. It's based on who you are to me. Yes, we are to give God our best. And yes, excellence is an issue. But search the scriptures. Where was that ever the priority? David said, I would not offer the Lord anything that didn't cost me something. But there's never been a performance mentality. Jesus, teach us to pray. If you're going to pray, start off with relationship, our Father. If you're going to pray... Understand that you are talking to someone that is related to you. Bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh. And that, that, that relationship is the foundation of everything else. <laughs> Our Father, he said. He's been anointed. To do what? It was a day of divine hope, I told you. He's anointed me. To heal the brokenhearted. There's hope for the brokenhearted, the betrayed, the abandoned, the disillusioned, the discouraged, the despondent, the desperate, and the depressed. And that word where it says, uh, let me find it, he hath anointed me, hold on, verse 18, to heal the brokenhearted. That does not mean erase the brokenness, it means to shore up, to support like I shared with you last week, to tie around the vessel that's breaking apart. See, many of us, when we think of the word heal the brokenhearted, we think of magic, where God says, but what he does is, by allowing us to witness and share the process, we not only get to the end of the healing; we get to learn and know of Him in the process. Oh, I'm gonna, the broken heart going to get healed, but He heals Him over time, and over time He reveals parts of His nature and parts of His goodness and parts of His. Power and parts of his knowledge, and you'll see how he connected things that you didn't even know were variables, and he puts it together. So then your mind stretches in your understanding of how large and great and grand God is. But hope for the brokenhearted, hope for the captive, those that have been carried away, taken somewhere they didn't want to go. Like a captive, they've lost their homeland. They live as an alien, a stranger, an outcast. Like a captive, they are progressively losing their identity through mixture and over time. Like a captive, they have lost their dignity, their purpose, and their courage. Like a captive, they are given exhausting, unrewarded, and unfulfilling tasks. And like a captive, they are miserable. Hope for the bound. Those who are kept where they never wanted to stay, even though their bondage may have originated with their own lust, even though their bondage is a result of their own choices, past and present, even though their bondage is a reoccurring one, and even though their bondage is a seemingly unbreakable one, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's positioned me. He's empowered me and called me to preach deliverance to the captives. Recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised. The Bible speaks of healing the broken hearted. Uh, opening pr- the doors of the prison to the bound. Proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. This day when Jesus revealed who he was in the timetable of God. Was a day that brought hope to everyone in every type of hopeless situation. That if God is on the scene and God is seen, and God is noticed, and God is recognized, and God is appealed to, that he was not only equipped, he is willing and present to fulfill the will of the Lord in that person's life. God would not, the Father would not give him an assignment, and then ask him not to finish it. So I understand that whatever lot I find myself in, broken hearted, Captive, maybe taken away by someone else's actions, someone else's choices. Bound by my own actions or my own choices. Or maybe just in a season of mourning. It said comforting those who mourn. Listen, I'm no stranger to sorrow, but people, they can sit with you in the ashes But they do not have the capacity. When a mama buries her baby. What do you do? do? What, What do you say? You can bring over food. You can sit with them. You can stay up with them. You can listen. And you can be a friend. But comfort. Comfort that is so anointed. That finds its way into the wound. And makes it better. Can only come from the Christ. And he said, and I have come to comfort those that mourn. Here's where we stumble. We feel like if Jesus is near and Jesus is in the synagogue and Jesus is in the home, that he keeps us from those things. He keeps us from brokenheartedness. He keeps us from bondage. He keeps us from uh, prison. And he keeps us from mourning. And that is not the case. We live in the same world that the world lives in. We experience the same evils the same limitations, the same physical weaknesses, the same opposition and the same hindrances, but we have access to someone that we heard, wait a minute, watch. We heard in the synagogue declare in the Bible we hold in our lap that he has been sent by God to do these things for those that know and recognize him. That's why, and for those of you that are new to our church, sometimes I will. But that's why I don't make it a habit of when people come to the altar, I I become front and center. you got to get under John's hands. Is there anything wrong with laying on of hands? Absolutely not. People are healed. Healing comes by the laying on of hands. I want to make sure that you understand That John doesn't have to be in the house if Jesus is in the heart. (laughs) I, I can pray for you. okay? And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me not to do these things. But to clearly articulate and point to you the one who is. Christ, the anointed. Christ, the anointed. The anointed one. There is a measure of anointing on called ministers... Because how could I clearly represent the Anointed One without some anointing? And mine is, well, let's just say it's different than His. Let's just say if you spent more than six hours with me, you'd understand. I know John knows Jesus, but he ain't Jesus. John got a little bit of Jesus. Now John can rep- John can represent Him. He can he can clearly point you to. And that's the role of, of the minister. That's why be careful. Be careful of anything external, vocal, or internal that draws your attention to a man. A special robe, a special collar, a special hat, a, a scepter, a special seat. Y'all sit in those, but I get one of those. Archaic seats with the carved mahogany and the, and the pillars, and, the, and you know, this, this, the laity and, and the clergy. And the truth is, there's people and there's the Christ, the Christ, the Lord. And on this day, he said these things were available. I want to talk to, real quickly about those that mourn. He said he would comfort those who mourn. He is a personal comforter. I've got people like Mama Sheila that I would not have made it through my dark years without her love and support. But she would tell me, she'd say, you know, there's only so much I can do. He uses people. But it's the personal comfort of the Lord. What my friend would do was give me just enough strength... And in just enough scripture and just enough support so I could lift up my eyes from what I was sinking in and see the Savior. And if you can see the Savior simply, singularly, and understand that He is a personal comforter. He's a present comforter. He's an identifying comforter, which means He understands. He he, he, we do not have high priest who could not be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He lived life fully. He, he lived life, He experienced rejection, malignment, misunderstanding and all of those things. And so this comforter understands. I'm tickled, and I've, I've, I've said this before, but you know, if you preach at one place 23 years, how many stories you got? You know, How many illustrations you got? I, I, I'll visit. Uh, I, I never had the desire to be in the room where the baby was born, much less hold the video camera. That just was just not one of my things. I was near, n- near one of those with a friend one time, and the lady said, just out of the blue, we're sitting there, she's fine, I'm fine. I'm in the room with them. We're talking about the baby going to be born, everybody's happy. And she let out this, uh, I, I don't know. It's like all of a sudden there was just this, set Of pliers about this big, and you just went Sha! on her head. It was like, yeah, and I, all you saw, you didn't see me leave, you just saw the drape go like this. That's all you saw. And I'm in the waiting room, seeing if people need anything. You all right? Need anybody pray for you? It was gone, I couldn't handle it. And I'm amazed, though, before the scream. At the husband you know we 've did lamas we 've we're going to help you i i 'm going to comfort you i 'm going to help you, and we want him there and you know and 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 then the doctor, even though he can explain it all i mean he, you know they don 't give out these uh certificates to be a doctor just to anybody he he understands the information, but when that baby starts to come and that woman starts to crown, and this is you know now. I'm amazed at women. I'm a natural baby. It's natural for me. It's natural for me. And then all of a sudden, drugs! <laughs> they just screamed, drugs! <laughs> you know, and before, they, did, they, didn't, they didn't have the drugs. But anyway, I watched this with my own eyes. The man is caught up in, you know, is your pill okay? Is your pill? And the woman's like, get him out of here. Out of here. You know, they, they, they loved him when they announced that the baby, you know, you had the blue and the pink. But in that room, they don't like him. <laughs> At all. No, come here, kiss me. your breast, but it doesn't matter. Just kiss me, I'm just my breast. So the man's in there, and he's watching the little machine. Now she's having contractions, as if she needed someone to tell her <laughs> "It's the funniest thing he's going. She's got both hands, sheets are curling up, face is contorting. She's building up for that scream. Bubba's over here. Here he comes. Here comes another one. So after that contraction, she tells her mother, get him out or I'm going to kill him. Just get him out. And eventually, nurse... Usually it's mama or something. Do you, do you know who's the only person that can reach them? Someone that has had that experience and sits down. And that nurse, she may have never met her before. She may be of a different color. She may be 30 years older. She sits down and holds her hand. Look, baby, look at me, look at me. I had six, I had six. I know you feel like you're dying. I Dying, it's unspeakable, but I do this every day. And I'm watching your vitals. And you're okay, sugar. You're going to make it. You know what she does? All she wants is that lady in the room. Okay. When you learn who he is, you do not call people for your comfort. You call the one that knows you and knows what you've been through. Isn't that rich? A sympathetic comforter, a knowledgeable comforter, with perfect understanding, a faithful comforter, a willing comforter, a soothing and a perfect comforter. This was a day of divine invitation. It was God who planned it. God initiated it. God set it into motion and decreed its outcome. The proclamation and invitation was available for those who believed and those who did not. It was available for the righteous and those who were unrighteous. It was available to the known and the unknown, the respected and the despised, the loved and the unloved, the best among us and the worst among us. God was opening the door of grace through the person of Jesus Christ the Lord. So, number three, it was a day of divine invitation. Number four, it was a day of divine promises, promises of supernatural power and grace. Why is it so much easier to believe, petition, and have expectancy for others than we do ourselves? We have trouble believing because of our sinfulness, our weaknesses, our failures, and unbelief. Maybe we have trouble believing that Christ is that for us because of what it was that was lost, how it was lost, or how long ago it was lost. Some because of how deep the pain, the memory, and the loss was, and still may be, kind of like a relational post-traumatic stress disorder. Maybe because of what is missing or never was or because we cannot stop comparing ourselves to others. But God is not intimidated today. God is not surprised or limited by what has happened to you, but stands willing, able, and waiting for you to take him at his word and believe that the spirit of the Lord is upon him and has anointed him To do that which is necessary for you to have life and that more abundantly. It starts with salvation, but after that, then it becomes he ever liveth to make intercession and to be your high priest forever. But you might say, John, they're not sufficient ingredients to heal me or to restore me. One of my favorite verses, Hebrews eleven three, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things that you see were made out of things that do not appear. God doesn't need variables. That's why saviors are born through virgins. He doesn't have to have seed. He doesn't have to have anything to do anything. Well, John, I don't have, you don't have to have anything. We feel that if we can just tee it up for God and make it easier for Him, He might can hit the ball for Him, for us. And He is saying today in this synagogue, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and you need to see that I have been positioned, anointed, enabled, and commissioned, assigned to minister this grace to you. It's a promise. Several weeks ago, I spoke of ashes, beauty for ashes. And the primary context of it was when people would repent many times or the loss of loved ones. It could be a spiritual uh, uh, humbling or it can be just a place of unspeakable grief and they would throw ashes and cover themselves. And the reality of ashes in someone's life means that something has been burnt up. Something's been consumed And something that once was is no longer. Those close to a lingering fire have soaked into them a smell that stays long after the loss has been realized. Ashes are in reality nothing more than a reminder of something that you will never see again. The ashes of a lost childhood. The ashes of a failed marriage, broken promises and shattered dreams the extinguishing of what we once hoped for, planned for, believed for, and lived for. Here's some things that God will not do with the burnover over areas of your lives. He doesn't take away your memories of where they came from. He doesn't take away the memory of where the ashes came from. He gives you new memories. He doesn't minimize or discard the event. He brings all the details to the front so that you and he can navigate those feelings and those facts together. He doesn't look past the depth of the wounds, but instead tenderly pours in the oil and the wine. And he never expects or asks us to reconfigure or make something out of ashes. Ashes have no value, they have no use, and they are worthless. But it is for these useless remains that he offers An unexpected, absurd, undeserved, and breathtaking exchange called beauty. It takes takes my breath away. He said, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to free you. I'm going to open doors for you. I'm going to sit with you when you're by yourself and and comfort you. And I am going to build, I am going to exchange the irreplaceable things in your life with things of my choosing. And I'm going to do it in such a way that with integrity and clarity, you will be able to look at someone and say, God has done beautiful things for me. Beautiful things for me. Ben, if you had come this morning. Everyone in this room has ashes. Listen, this is very important because this is where some of us are going to go home and there's going to be no change. And others are going to walk into liberty. Everyone has lost things and the things have been burned up. But not everyone does the same things with them. Some curse the ashes. Some enshrine them. Others are identified by them. Or some, some even act like they don't exist. Others throw them to the wind and walk away as if it never happened. But people of faith recognize their purpose. Our ashes are the proof that we have lived and that something was lost. They are the proof that we have loved. They are the proof that we have dreamed, that we have laughed, that we have hoped, we have believed, that we have trusted, and that we have suffered, and that we have sorrowed, and that we understand pain. And it brings us to the opportunity to recognize that Jesus was known as the man of sorrows. So to be like him, I must walk his path. He wants me to know that this reality does not trump the revelation that I have now been sent and commissioned to change that. Yes, it happened. But there's more to your life than what's been burned up. Save your ashes. What if if the beauty that God wants to give you is equivalent to all that was lost. Picture like a slingshot. What if all that you lost, when God lets go, He gives it back to that extent? And you do know that it goes further on the other end. Some of us are more familiar with what our ashes look like than we are with what Jesus said in the synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. And He has anointed me to help you and to serve you and to love you and heal for you and give you beauty. A beautiful life does not mean that it's exempt from sorrow and difficulty. It just means it's beautiful. It just means it's beautiful. Beautiful. It is to the person who has been ravaged by fire that God sends forth this word. This day. Remember in the verse? This day. The scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And it's to this word that I'm echoing what he said. This day. To the broken hearted, I'm here to bind you up. To the captive, I'm here to declare your independence. To the bound, I'm here to open the prison doors that have kept you locked out of the life I have for you. I am here for those who mourn to comfort you so deeply that you can continue on another day. To those who are blind, I'm going to open your eyes to see what you've been missing and what's right in front of you. And to those who are bruised from past failures, sins, and regrets, I'm here today to pardon and forgive you if you just look to me. And when God gives beauty, sometimes it's so glorious that it makes you just stop, it, it, it freezes you in your tracks. Several years ago, in Daytona Beach, Shores, Florida, a moment of silence for the beach, please. Just, okay. We go to a place I love to eat. i eating with my friends here many times, Kelly and I countless times. It's called Our Deck Down Under. If you go under the Dunlawton Bridge, there's two places. There's something deck and then there's our deck. This deck on the right ain't that good. Our deck down under is good. So it's got this little uh outside seating area that's in the water, you know, and you use picnic tables like plastic tables. But the food is so good. And I remember one day, you know how the Lord will speak to you in the simplest of ways, or you have an earthly, just a simple something that you know the lord's in it. So, I'm eating fish. I ain't thinking about I'm not being disrespectful. I'm not thinking about the lord. I ain't thinking about my wife. I'm not thinking about the beach. I'm thinking I got coleslaw, I got hush puppies, I got fi- I got fish stacked up on fish and fries. If you, you know, what's your favorite food? French fries. Thank you. It's for breakfast, lunch, supper. Dinner. So, I'm sitting there at the deck and I got my food. And one of the servers, the servers, walked by and she goes, everyone, look. I mean, screamed. And you turned. Mama, the sun was setting on this water. And it was as if heaven had took a, a, shrunk down a cannon of color and it just went then you could hear a pin drop. Everyone just stared and went. And what wasn't said was like thunder. Only God could do that. Only God could do that. My last thing I want to tell you today is when Jesus said, this day, back then that day is today it's today whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be met delivered helped saved healed but you have to take him at his word and you know what they did some listened and went home others ignored it the majority of them pushed him away and threatened him so that he had to leave because that would mean that I must be dependent upon God how do you respond to this message today that Christ is declaring to you that he's been sent to Christ Chapel Macon, Georgia this morning through an insufficient vessel to tell you, today is the day, and I'm inviting you to let me be Lord in this situation. I'm going to invite you to come if this message is for you. Just stand around the front; we will not embarrass you, and it won't take long. It's we have to respond. You can't just have the Lord speak and you sit there and go, "Yeah." We have to react. if this word is for you God I I know you're that person and I, I need you today I'm calling out to you today if that's you I want you to come stand around the front and we're going to pray No one will be coming up behind you today. This is it's just you and the Lord. I see you, Lord. I see you, Lord. Guys in the sound booth while they pray, would you cue that song for me? I want those in the church to not just hear this, but listen to, to read the lyrics as well. Put the lyrics up there, they'd be
2: great. Oh
3: Isn't it great that we have a father that wants a personal, intimate relationship with you? Not a deity that we speak at, but a deity that wants to hold us, wants to speak to us, wants to feel us. Hey, Amen, that, that is what our God is. Isn't it amazing? I'm going to pray this miss, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful day, Lord. Thank you for the words that you've sent down, the power, the anointing. Lord God, thank you for everything that you're doing, Lord. It's amazing how one word can solve so many different issues and problems. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord God, I ask right now that you go with us today. Lord God, you make our lives rich Fill us with your power and your anointing so that we can be everything you want us to be. Amen. 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 Have a great Lord's Day.